This session called Teenagers and Trances, Mediums in the Media. Now my wife and I, Linda and I, we worked as missionaries. We were in Africa and after that we also went uh, to the island, to the S South American continent. So we were there in Peru uh, for a short while learning Spanish. Please don't ask me questions on, in Spanish. I, I learned as I tell people, un poquitito. I've even gone to impoquititito, create my own word, just a tiny, but the one thing I did learn is it's a fascinating language and it is, makes so much sense. It is, I love the grammar. I didn't learn to speak it, but I love the grammar. And my wife could speak it, but she hated the grammar, you know. <laughs> so anyway, uh, she was born and raised in El Paso, so some of it I think was able to come back. But when we came back from the mission field, I turned on television one day, couldn't believe what I saw. In the middle of the day, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, there was a man, John Edward, who claimed to be channeling messages from beyond the grave. And then I, later on, I, James Van Prague said, this is here in the United States, daytime television, having what we used to call seances. Listen to this. The website of John Edward says, John Edward is an internationally acclaimed psychic medium who can communicate with the world beyond. I'm quoting, John's extraordinary gift has opened a window to the spirit world. Okay? Uh, he explains how to communicate with the other side. Unlike spiritualists of yore, of the past, who typically plied their trade in darkroom seances, Edward and his ilk often perform live before live audiences and under the glare of television lights. And James Van Prague, similarly, is recognized as one of the world's the foremost mediums in the world, and they're on television communicating messages from the grave, I'm quoting, and he is able to bridge the gap between the two planes of the living and the dead and is providing evidential proof of life after death. Very interesting. Now this is what's happening. Of course, there are books out there promoting all of these kinds of things nowadays. Psychic readers, um, past, the present, and the future, uh, you know, you are psychic, all kinds of things that are being promoted now, um, uh, of course, all having to do with messages from beyond the tomb. And you've heard of the Marian apparitions, um, especially the one in Medjugorje, the one in um, that, what, 10 or 15 million pilgrims have visited 15 million pilgrims over the past 10 years. It's interesting. All of these things have one thing in common. We'll get to that picture in a minute. All of them have one major thing in common. The belief that you're alive once you die. Belief in spirit communications. Where did it start? We've got to go now in history, uh, briefly back to this here. This is a picture of a group of people originally... They came from the mother country. Even before this became the United States, Mother Anne Lee brought over her group of believers called the Shakers. And they established a community, and this is what they used to do, shake. Okay? And it's very interesting. The major movements of the Shakers, when did this arise? What was happening? Listen to this. According to the historian Ernest Sutherland Bates, he says, the Shakers had always been spiritualists in theory, but they were not deeply affected until between 
1838 and 1845, a wave of visionary enthusiasm swept over their communities to such an extent that during those seven years their villages were closed to outsiders. Bates continues, their religious meetings were turned into seances where the spirits of the dead, etc. vied with each other. Very interesting. And they said in their, what are their beliefs? We are thoroughly convinced of spirit communications, spirit guidance and obsession. Our spiritualism has permitted us to converse face to face with individuals once mortal, some of whom we well knew, others who were born before the flood, what they claim. Then they added, listen to this, we are confirmed infidels. In other words, we don't believe the foolish bodily resurrection theory of Jesus. We don't, that's untrue. We don't believe the atonement doctrine that Jesus died for our sins. And we don't believe the Trinity. These are all untrue. Yet they claimed to be, of course, believers. 1838 until 1845 is when these things were happening. In fact, there was so much stuff happening, they closed the, uh, their communities so that nobody else could come in because of all these things that were happening. Fascinating stuff happening right there at that very, very time. Uh, we're talking about here, the 1840s, all of these movements. Now, at the same time, in 1844, I'll give you the actual date, because this is known in history, March 15, 1844, a New York cobbler by the name of Andrew Jackson Davis, he went into a country graveyard at the age of 18, cobbler, on his own, just out there roaming around. And while he was in this country graveyard, 18-year-old Andrew Jackson Davis claims he had a vision, a trance. And in his trance, he spoke to Galen, G-A-L-E-N. Anybody heard of Galen? Yeah, I thought you medical students would have heard of him. 3,000 year, years ago, I think it was, he was a Greek physician, etc. And uh, this guy claims he actually talked with him. And this is 1844. By the way, the same year, in a house later to be occupied by Maggie and Katie. What is their last name? Yes. But in 1844, there were wrappings in that very same house. The Fox sisters were not already living there, but it is historically recorded that the, the wrappings began. The Fox sisters were not there. It, is, it didn't go on from there. But 1844, same year that Andrew Jackson Davis had that vision, so he called, in this country graveyard. You know, it's interesting that how these uh, teenagers were actively involved. I call this session Teenagers and Trances Intentionally because here is another teenager. Anybody know who this is? Joseph Smith, you're right. At the age of 14, Joseph Smith says he had a, a vision. Now, I say a vision. The historical records are well known. There are nine different versions of that vision. I used to teach world religion, so I had to study a little bit about Mormonism in order to teach what this religion is about. And Joseph Smith, 14 years of age, claims he had a vision. And he then started in 1830, the very year that William Miller was studying the prophecies, the year before he began to preach, that's the year that Joseph Smith founded what? The Mormon Church, the official name, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Official church. Same time. Okay, now we're not going to spend a lot of time on Mormonism and the, and the theories. I've done some study. I've written some material up on that. You can check. There's a lot of material out there. But you know what's interesting? 1844. Now, the Mormon church began 1830. All right? But 1844, 
What happened? That was the year that Joseph Smith was killed. He had wanted to run for president. He was arrested for treason. What they claimed, they put him in prison. Make a long story short, June 1844, a mob attacked the prison. And Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram were murdered. And you know what? As I was studying to teach world history, I found actual documentation that goes this way. Listen carefully now. Mormons believe that when Joseph Smith died, his shed blood provides atonement for them. 1844. So that when faithful Mormons die, they, men, sorry women, men can inhabit new worlds, but the women are included because this is a fact. The women, the, the men will have multiple goddess wives and be able to populate different planets. If you go to Salt Lake City to this day, when I went to visit there some years ago and more recently, they even have videos that show some of these things that they believe. This is actual belief. I don't know how, if it's changed recently, but this is the stuff I, when I was teaching world religions about 10 years ago. So, more, uh, Joseph Smith's death is a very important thing for Mormons. His blood provides atonement. Interesting, 1844, the same time when the sanctuary message was arising amongst whom? Seventh, Sabbath-keeping Adventists. The whole idea of the atonement, the judgment and all of that, the same time this was arising. And I just want to mention, because very interesting, and of course at the same time there was another teenager. Her name? Ellen Harmon, when she was a teenager. 17 years of age. 18-year-old Andrew Jackson Davis, okay, starting Spiritism. 14-year-old Joseph Smith, starting Mormonism. And 17-year-old Ellen Harmon, in a sense, one of the three founders, it's Ellen Harmon, James White, her husband-to-be, and who's the third one? Joseph Bates, you're right. The three founders of Seventh-day Adventism. So interesting how the teenagers, by the way, God works through young people. I was so glad to see two young people come up here to pray. Praise God for that. I'm excited, if I can still call you guys young, GYC, you know, to see what you guys are doing, Advent Hope, Restoration. This is wonderful. It's exciting to see young people actively involved Getting serious about God. God works with them. But you know what? The devil is too clever as well. Not only does God work through young people, but the devil works through them incredibly. Now, before I get to that, uh, I want to just uh, mention another man. His name was George Storrs. He was on a train one day, there in 1837, the same time that the Shakers were, were getting involved in this. Uh, he was a Methodist preacher, and he was traveling by train. He had a long journey. And by the way, tonight, for example, I'm flying back to Michigan tonight. One of the red eyes, you know, you get on the plane at 9, at 11.30. And by the time you get to, when I get home, it'll be, I'll be in Michigan tomorrow at 11 o'clock. My wife's supposed to pick me up and we'll go out for brunch. She'll be feeding me while I sleep. <laughs> but anyway, you know, these, these flights at night. And so I have a book I'm going to try to read tonight. I've got stuff to read. George Storrs pulled out a pamphlet that somebody had given him. He's a Methodist preacher. And as he was reading, he said, What? No. He read and he found out that this pamphlet said, when you die, you stay in the tomb. Really? So he went and he studied and he found out, sure enough, the biblical belief on conditional immortality was there. He then shared it with somebody else. Eventually, Charles Fitch, a Methodist, pre uh, a Millerite preacher, accepted it in 1844. And they began to teach 
that when you die, you go straight to the tomb and you wait for the resurrection. William Miller, he heard about this. Did he believe it? Listen to William Miller, the, the leader of the Millerites. He says, I disclaim any connection, fellowship, and or sympathy with Brother Storr's views on the intermediate state and the end of the wicked. He couldn't accept that when you die, you lay in the tomb until Jesus comes. But at the same time that conditional immortality was being brought to the forefront, and by the way, James White, Joseph Bates, they belonged to a church called the Christian Connection. They already believed the biblical doctrine that we don't have innate immortality, that we get it as a gift from God. They already believed that. But here were preachers coming along. They were beginning to re, uh, uh, raise up this belief at the same time that that's being raised up, at the same time spiritism was coming to the forefront. Now I want to move fast forward 160 years because I want to talk about things that are relevant today. What is happening today? This, of course, are the Fox sisters here. I didn't mention it. That was the house where the wrappings were, the famous Fox sister house in uh, Rochester, New York, right there. Um, so, uh, it says the home of the Fox sisters, Hydesville. Hydesville, New York, March 31, 1848. The birthplace of modern spiritualism. Now, Andrew Jackson Davis, by the scholars, they consider him the father because he wrote the language of spiritism out. And so these are the ones that popularized the movement, but Andrew Jackson Davis is considered by the scholars as the founder of it. Well, this lady was sitting on a train, like George Storrs. And like George Storrs, who was reading a pamphlet, she was sitting on the train, and she says, suddenly, as though out of nowhere... Very, very clearly, the crystal image of Harry popped into her mind. Who do you think that is? Anybody know? Her name was Joan. Joan who? Better known as J.K. who? Rowling. Yeah, right. J.K. Rowling. Okay. There's a picture of her with one of her books, J.K. Rowling, and suddenly a brand new craze was begun. And here are some of the many pictures of this Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Harry Potter uh, in French here. I'm, I'm not going to try and read it. Harry Potter, uh, all kinds of things that you can see. And this was the original one, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. That's the way the British called it. Here in the United States, it was and the Sorcerer's Stone. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. I might mispronounce some of these things because I'm not well acquainted with him. Forgive me, all right? Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. I support Harry Potter, okay? Uh, all of this is a major, major thing right now. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, okay? And the big question is, who are the spirits of spiritualism? And what has this got to do with Harry Potter? Are, is there a connection between these two? Just a little bit of statistics quickly. Are you aware that this series is the most popular children's series of stories ever, ever written? Give you an idea, right now, if you add up everything, the income from all of the Harry Potter business is probably around three billion with a B dollars. Absolutely astounding. Listen to this. I mentioned last night, if you write a book and it's published by one of our Adventist publishing houses, Review and Herald or Pacific Press, and they publish it and it's a bestseller, guess how many copies get sold? 
5,000. Bestseller. <laughs> okay. Then they can reprint that 5,000. Let's talk about this one. And I'm talking now only of the one, the, um, the fifth edition. I don't have the figure on the sixth one here. Uh, I have it. It's going to the next edition of this book. But listen to this. 2003, three years ago, the publisher cranked out eight and a half million books of the fifth installment. The sixth one has come out already, mid-July 2005, and I believe the seventh one is going to come out soon. Now, I haven't bought the books, because it's not my money, it's God's money, and I'm going to be careful how I use His stewardship. I haven't read the books, but I did go down to the library and checked a few of them out. Thick books, I flipped through them, I checked a little bit, get a quick flavor of them. I had to leave it to others who felt they had the time to take time to read and to dig into this. And so I don't have the time. Already I'm short-slept. Is that the right word? Is there such a word? I don't know. I don't have enough time to do the things I must do. Much read, much, much less read some of these things. And as you know, Harry Potter books are now in the public uh, media in the public school curriculum guides, teacher manuals, discussion guides, etc. Somebody might say, so what's the big deal? Listen carefully. They say, well, it's just an imaginative tale. And by the way, it's good news. Because the Harry Potter series, for the first time in a generation, have gotten MTV kids to actually read books. And they say, don't worry, this is the fantasy, the witchcraft, the wizardry, this is simply a framework in which to talk about the fight between good and evil. It's really the great controversy theme. Uh, is it simply good old harmless fun? Incidentally, in case you might not have realized it, Harry Potter, one of the books, got the Parenting Book, Parenting Book of the Year Award in 1998. Okay? However, however, more parents have requested that Harry Potter be banished from the bookshelves than any other book in U.S. history. Interesting. Wow. So there are some parents. Why? Because of what is called the dark side of Harry Potter. Now I want to read you a few quick statements here. Because others have taken the time to read and to summarize, which is one of the reasons you came here today, because you don't want to go and dig into all the 1844 series. You're saying, Dupre, I'm glad you did it. I'm saying, hey, thank you for you who did this. So I'm using other solid, serious scholars who've read and have summarized. Listen to this. Here's the key point. Throughout the Potter drama, all of these books, that's the idea, there is a definite contrast between friendly, exciting, intelligent wizards who have access to supernatural power, like Dumbledore, Harry and his friends, and the stuffy, boring, unintelligent members. I'm moving this side here, okay? I was standing that side for the exciting ones. This is the different group. Who are we? The unintelligent members of the non-magical community. That is you and I. Guess what we are called? Muggles. Hi there, muggles. I'm assuming you're not part of that magical world. Okay? The ordinary person is typified as being bad because they have no magic powers. The heroes are people who are using the occult. Make no mistake about Potter books are jam-packed with mysterious information about witches, warlocks, sorcerers, crystal balls, spells, curses, potions, charms, numerology, divination, palmistry, out-of-body travel, and communication with the spirits. 
all of which reflect actual practices in the real world of both ancient and modern occultism. By the way, J.K. Rowling was on the Diane Reams show. Anybody listen to Diane Reams? NPR, I've listened to her sometimes. Diane Reams, she interviews different guests. And on the Diane Reams show, J.K. Rowling admitted that fully one-third of her material is based on actual occultism. Real witchcraft. This is not imaginary stuff, okay? Witchcraft, why is it so appealing to today's young people? Because young people come from broken homes. Witchcraft offers guidance. They say there's a claim for personal power. There's strength to cope. There's adventure. There's inner fulfillment that the average Joe cannot have. Such power comes from three sources. The Bible? Oh no, no, no. That, it, if you want to have the power, it comes from inside. It comes from nature, which of course is pantheism. And guess where the third source is? Communicating with the spirits of the dead. Now, by the way, when I picked up those books from the lo local library, I was paging through and I came across this statement in one of the Potter books. Dumbledore says to Harry, listen carefully now, and I wrote it down, I said, man, I quoted it specifically. Death is but the next great adventure. What does it sound like? Who said you shall not surely die? The devil himself. Okay, so what is the truth? Be careful, folks. Be very careful. The Potter books clearly are put together. There is a power behind it, a power out to deceive. Who are the spirits of spiritism? A quick review here, a biblical review. The Bible provides a clear answer. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. I already mentioned that. You remember the serpent here? The devil's lie. You shall not surely die. Genesis 3 verse 4. The devil was the one behind. We know the book of Revelation says that old dragon, the serpent. Okay? And now listen to Genesis 3 4. Spiritualism says that the dead know more than the living. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. This is, by the way, from the spiritualist Sprague. In this, as in many other Bible passages, the devil told the truth. And the Lord is in error. Could it have been said more plainly? <laughs> Listen to that. There it is. Okay. E.W. Sprague, a spiritualist, said it categorically. Of course, you go back to the Bible. John 8.48. Read with me. There is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. For they are the spirit of devils working miracles. The book of Revelation warns us. Go back to Genesis when God created Adam. Remember? And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Genesis 2 verse 7. Dust plus spirit, this is the breath of life, becomes a living soul. Elements of the earth plus the breath equals a living creature. Okay? The, when you die, it's creation in reverse, so to speak. And the dust will return to the earth as it was. And the ruach, that is the simple word for breath. or You can translate it as breath or spirit in Hebrew. And the breath, the spirit, same word, will return to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 7. All the while my breath is in me, Job says, and the spirit of God is in my nostrils. Obviously, the spirit, the breath is in my nostrils. Okay, Job 27 there. So we know that's what the Bible teaches. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. The elements of the earth minus breath 
equals a dead body. It's like an electric light bulb, okay? If you unplug it, what happens? Okay? The light will go out. The living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? Over and over the same idea comes out. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Ezekiel 18. Mortal, immortality, human beings are mortal. There are several texts that point that out, and we know that only God hath immortality. Human beings seek immortality and will receive it only at the second coming. 1 Corinthians 15 makes it very, very clear. Uh, death, the King James Bible uses the word soul 1600 times, but never, notice, never once uses the term immortal soul. Only God is immortal. The Bible declares death is asleep 53 times. Old Testament Bible writers use the phrase slept or rested with their fathers as an expression for death. And in fact, when we get to the New Testament, Jesus says, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him. Notice what his disciples said. Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he had spoken of taking sleep as in rest. Okay? Rest as in sleep. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. It's interesting that they hadn't realized that. They should have known the Old Testament said it. They should have known the Old Testament clearly. And of course Jesus appears there, and this is Martha, and he tells Martha uh, that, you know, Lazarus will arise. Lord, she says, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died, thy brother shall rise again. Jesus says to her, she answers, I know that he shall rise again. In the resurrection, at the last day, that's when they believe. In other words, he's not alive right now. That's when he will rise, she responds. And of course, he goes to the tomb, and they say, But Lord, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. And of course, you know what Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And uh, we know that he came out. And we go to the Bible, it is clear over and over, the Bible points out that immortality comes only when Jesus comes. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, with a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the crowds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And of course, this is our wish, our desire, to be ready for Jesus when he comes what are we going to do about all of these issues? What choices are we going to make about what we watch, what we read, what we do? And right nowadays, we are saturated folks with all of these temptations. A short story I want to share with you because it is dangerous, very dangerous to dabble in these areas. Sometimes you might say, oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to watch it. Look, I don't believe it. I'm going to see what's happening. Never forget the story of a man by the name of Moses. Moses Hull, H-U-L-L. Young man, in the 1800s, 1850s, he became, he was born in 1836, joined Sabbatarian Adventists in 1857. There was no name for this group of people. We didn't know who we were as in a name. Moses Hull was committed to the Lord. He became a fiery evangelist attracting thousands to his preaching of the Sabbatarian truths. When there was a need for a name for this group, Moses Hull said, why don't we call ourselves Seventh-day Adventists? Now you know Moses Hull. Don't forget his name. Moses Hull. 
He was the man who suggested that we call ourselves Seventh-day Adventists. Yes, and we have been calling ourselves that for more than 140 years. Moses Hall began to debate with spiritists. He went to the headquarters of spiritism, back then, Papa, Michigan. Ellen White talked with him, said, Moses, be careful, this is dangerous. Don't rely on yourself. Don't make friends with these people. Moses decided to continue on his own. Make a long story short. One day Moses Hall went and was debating with a man by the name of Jemison. And Moses Hall, after he came back, shares the story himself. He says, as I was talking with Jemison, debating with him, I began to hear a different voice. And the voice said, I am the ghost or whatever, the spirit of Mr. Downing. Moses Hull came back from that shocked. Unfortunately, he didn't listen to the cautions. To make a long story short, shortly after that, Moses Hull joined the spiritualists. And Moses Hull began to write books. And Moses Hull became the president of a new college to train spirit mediums. The evangelist, yes, he became an evangelist for spiritism. The Moses Pratt Institute, Moses Hall. Adventist evangelist, no, president of the now training school for spirit mediums. Sadly, if you read the death certificate of Moses Hall, you know what it says on there? Suicide. I want to end this session with a serious caution. Don't dabble. Don't take chances. No matter what your age is. Don't say, oh, I'm 60, I'm safe. Or, oh, I'm only 16, I'd like to learn a bit about it. Don't take any chances. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give him a toehold. Don't even give him a toenail hold. Did you hear what I'm saying? Okay, be careful. Everybody, whether young or old, Satan is going around like a what? Seeking whom? Whom he may devour. Be careful. At the same time, when God was raising up a people, re-establishing the importance of immortality through Jesus Christ alone, at the same time, spiritism was raising its ugly head. And now we see here, through the Harry Potter phenomenon, it's being accepted and spread worldwide. Everywhere you can come across it. Everybody seems to be talking about it. Belief in immortality. Belief in life after death. Belief in the spirits. Everywhere you hear it, and I say everywhere, except for serious Bible students, serious people of the Word. Be careful. Spend your time. I must spend my time with the Word. Don't take chances. Otherwise, the devil will zap you. He will get me. He will suck me in. He will catch you the way he caught Moses Hall unfortunately, to eternal damnation. This section is serious. I want to ask if you'll bow your heads for prayer here. Lord, we know we're living in dangerous, troublous times. And right now, as every head is bowed, Father, I want to pray that every one of us will be extra careful to walk day by day with Jesus Christ our Savior. Not to give the devil a foothold, even a toehold. 
Especially the young people, Father, I want to pray for them because if, if the young people don't read or listen, they might feel like they're out of touch. But Father, help them to know that as long as they are in touch with Jesus, they will be safe. They might not be able to talk about the same things that others do, but help them, Lord, to see that they can share with others a better message, a better hope, the truth of Jesus our Savior. Father, right now I'm going to make an appeal. If there's anyone here who would like to raise your hand and say, Lord, protect me as Jesus' prayer went, lead me not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right now I ask that every one of you raise your hands as that prayer of Jesus. Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Keep us safe from the devil who is going around like a roaring lion. Thank you for the gift of immortality through Jesus Christ. Thank you for the promise and the guarantee of eternal life which we can have right now through Jesus Christ our Savior. We claim that because you've given it to us and promised it to us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.